It's like when Gandalf was falling down that endless pit wrestling that demon at the end of whichever or Lord of the Rings one or two, whichever version it is, where it ends with him falling. Like there's a point when, when he realizes like, I'm not going to hit. Yes, he eventually lands in, uh, uh, in water in the bottom, but you realize that there's a stability in the fall. And part of this, like us waking up in this from the dream or waking up like maybe the what we think is the stability, what we think what what the ground is, which we're searching for, actually is, that's the wrong image or picture in our mind, which was given to us by being born into the dream. Like that's the wrong way to look at it. Like the, the stability is realizing that you're dreaming and it's all a dream. Mike, what's up? Long time no talk. Welcome back to your handbook for the apocalypse. I'm going to start saying the title of the show at the beginning of the show because no one remembers the name of this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to your I handbook. Think it's such a great name, but I'm probably just as guilty because I, I just remember it's like, is it your handbook or is it the handbook? But it's your handbook for the apocalypse. I'm doing well, Mark. It's good to hear your voice. Likewise, likewise. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. I'm glad to hear you uh, cruising along in the truck there, and we're getting you loud and clear thanks to the help of uh, Zoom's AI bot. But, uh, but yeah, this is this is a nice day to get back into the swing of things here in 2023. I don't think we've recorded an episode yet in 2023. If we did, it was very brief. Well, all right, we're back in. What day is today? Today's the fifth. Yes. Of February? Yes. And I was out I was out last night. I had dinner at um at like a, a mess a Mexican restaurant and they had TVs. You know how like sometimes restaurants will have like TVs in the corner? Uh-huh. And so they had a television on and they had on the national news. And I was unaware, like, you know, I don't I don't see the national news very often. And I love I love watching the national news. I love I love watching it for a variety of reasons. But um, one of the things which I was unaware of, and maybe you know, this is a, a place to start, was yesterday was when this whole like uh, shooting down the Chinese spy balloon came out. Yeah. Are you familiar with this story? I am. I'm just as inept when it comes to that uh, as you are, and maybe more so. 
I love watching the news, but yeah, no, I'm I'm totally out of the loop. I saw a headline on a podcast that said uh, mystery airship, but I thought that they were doing something like historical. So there was a Chinese so spy was, balloon. So I'm not really certain because I couldn't hear the sound, but I just saw the images. And apparently what it looked like was this really ridiculously ridiculous looking ridiculous to me to think that this is a spy balloon which was seemingly shot down by a local guy uh over the coat over myrtle beach i may be right i might be i'm pretty accurate with with what that story is but i may not be 100 percent accurate with the details but i'm watching and i'm like this is the most ridiculous story i've ever seen mm. Like, you know, for whatever, like the one thing which I think has been demonstrated beyond any sort of uh, deniability over the past couple of years is the ridiculousness of national news and it at, and how national news has been used as a tool to really dictate the mindset of the masses that's why i find it the national news such a good thing to watch is if you're watching it and you understand that it's a tool then you can say like okay well this is how the tool works you can understand why it works and it gives clues into consciousness and then it also gives you clues as to like you know what is the storyline which on that level of reality they the the they want to go and place in the minds of the people who actually watch the news and think it's a real thing. So we've got this crazy story, which kind of implies like, you know, uh, wartime or in war, you know, there's the, the, the beat of the drums of war have, have been picking up. And then at the same time, we had that uh, seeming cold front that hit the, the Northeast. Was it really cold? In, was it really cold where were you yesterday? Yeah, but really only in comparison to how unseasonably warm it's been. I mean, normally we go d below zero a couple times each winter where I live. And yeah, we, we've been pretty in the 50s all all winter up until this weekend where we went below zero. But yeah, yeah the winds were pretty rough and it wasn't anything on, you know extraordinary for a winter in New England. So, so that's exactly that's exactly where I was going with all of this. It's like how they how the setup, this one punch of what they did. But in the truth is, the, the truth of the matter is exactly what you're saying. It's like it really hasn't been that cold, and, and today is considerably warm again, or at least warmer compared to what yesterday was. It was a little bit cold yesterday, but it wasn't like freezing cold. And and just how easily. How easily reality is shaped in the minds, how easily reality can be shaped in the minds of people. So I just wanted to point that out and bring this back to uh, bring this back to this other anecdote which happened yesterday. So before I went to the uh, before I went to that restaurant dinner at the Mexican restaurant, uh, I was going through some old stuff and uh stuff which christy had were cleaning out some of her storage and she had found this diary i think she said she found it in a like a a, a goodwill years ago and 
and she took it. And it was a handwritten diary from an 11 year old girl written in 1984. Hmm. And there are about 20 entries in it. And so I, I read them all. I read all the entries. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Totally and unrelated whole, to her too, right? Because it's a goodwill. So I'm, it's just a random person you both have never met, assuming. Exactly, exactly. But what's funny is it does have the name of, of the person, like in the very front page of the diary, and it has the year in which it was written and uh, the location. The location is generally where I am living right now, kind of in this uh, – part of Pennsylvania between Allentown and Philadelphia and Reading. And it was, it was from January 1st to the middle of February, 1984. And every other page was written about snow and sleet and the weather. And I'm like, it hasn't snowed nor sleeted more than like two times, not even two times since I've been here. And so going back to like what we're talking about with the with with the of, of the way we're seeing climate. Now I'm not necessarily going down the 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 Club of Rome climate change narrative, but I do want to point out the funniness and the ridiculousness of of the the weathers which we're experiencing and how it's always uh, interesting proof where we can go and find actual demonstrated uh data in things such as these these uh these diaries or anything which goes back uh which is outside of the matrix system which is outside of the the ai system of of mm. all of the data points in the past that's really all though the only point of the story which i want to get into i just thought it was kind of fun no yeah it's something i've been thinking a lot about many people probably have up uh in the north i don't know what winters are like farther south. But when I was a kid, we would have snow every year, at least for two or three months of the year, there would be enough snow to where, you know, you wouldn't see the ground. Like uh, the only ground that was visible was the street and maybe sidewalks for at least two or three months of the year. Cause it just, it just gets snowy and, you know, it, sometimes it you, you get to that point where it looks like it's all going to melt and then you get hit with a big, big storm. So I'm used to, you know, snow this time of year and it's definitely made me question whether or not some kind of, uh, you know, funny business is going on with Harp or one of these machines that they have to manipulate the weather uh, in order to give us an impression of this warming earth that they're trying to uh you know narrate and yeah I, I guess and i've seen this this connection between my own storyline with with my ancestry having lived here and i didn't know about it uh until recently and it seemed that i'm living in the same place and how the connections line up this tesseract math um like all, all of this sort of like when like go what is the funny business? The funny business has usually been um, couched 
along the lines here are your two options which you're given you're given option number one which is uh club of rome carbon carbon climate change and all of that sort of stuff so that's like you know that's the mainstream narrative and then the opposite is like or maybe maybe it's not exactly the opposite but another way of looking at it is like no these are normal cyclical changes in the weather this is like the the fifth sun this is why the sun is white it's no longer yellow and, and that's changing and, you know maybe that's a possibility or maybe you know we it's even stranger than that and somehow <laughs> we are living within uh or experiencing our life in more of a metaverse like false like whatever that pentagon fake what, what what is that pentagon replica of reality called there's a name for it mm. you know what i'm referring to yeah i've heard it talked about i don't remember the the name for it though i i, just... I get the name but it the way i understand it is the pentagon has created a a, a duplicate scenario uh environment where every human being is replicated in there so that they can run more or less different scenarios to test different scenarios like that's the way it's kind of positioned right mm. Is that how you understand it? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I'm trying to like search up a name of this, but uh, yeah, that's that's hard to do. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do, and, and the internet has gotten much, so difficult to find things nowadays, right? And this goes into like the uh, you know the second internet. There's a second internet which we're now searching part of, and like uh, we're not able to find a lot of the stuff that used to be available on the internet. And this goes deeper than just like Google algorithms. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, I'm, I'm just like playing around with ideas right now. But I always thought that, that the narrative of the explanation of the, the, the Department of Defense's uh, second, second city, second life, like that feels too much like the metaverse to me. Like when they went and they gave us the story on the metaverse, that, all right, I got a tricky merge here. All right. Um, that maybe it's already happened. You know, maybe we're already, like, our consciousness is in this kind of like false sort of reality. Like there's something, there's something strange going on. And tying this back to what I was saying about me with the Tesseract math, it's like I'm just experiencing it through numbers. Like, or that's the way I'm seeing it. I'm seeing these, these connections, which I'm having seemingly through place and through number. And the number are just like, you know, uh, 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 cycles, because that's the way the computers work, right? You know, the how quickly they can run the cycles, the rendering machines, like how quickly it can render is this is as quickly as the cycle that's often been said like that's what the the um the speed of light is is the ultimate processing unit the speed of the system like are are we looking at clues of that because there's definitely a lot of these these changes that we're seeing um there's certainly been a shift in the way which people are living life and we are becoming more and more 
integrated in our seemingly day-to-day experience through the the different bots, whether that's us talking through Zoom, uh, having to do everything through QR codes. But I don't know. That's just that's 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 in my mind right now as as layers of experiential reality, which I'm trying to peel back those onion layers. Yeah. Are we in it? How deep are we in it? Maybe that's the question I'm posing. Hmm. Well, that's a tough question now. I mean, it, I've definitely forfeited uh, a lot of my natural sovereignty just by living in the the situation i'm living in you know is if we're going to look at the metaverse in those terms or the digital uh, interface of it you know that's the multiverse is being born from all these data sets that are being generated by each person's life and all of this is going into a simulated algorithm of outcomes that then they're going to try to game and uh yeah it's it's uh <laughs> i don't know it's creepy stuff it's creepy stuff but i also think that it's becoming more clear like it's being more clear that that's happening because i don't think i don't think that i'm a that i'm an ai bot do you think you're an ai bot no, that's never one. No, like you still feel like an like there's some level of you which which is outside of that system, and seeing those system uh, uh, markers. That's why uh, like talking about like the time and the place and the I and, and and the history. Like like that's providing for me at least uh, clear demarcations and what they're demarcations of. I'm not certain, but I think it's these layers of reality. And as we're going through them, as we're seeing them more clearly, are we then beginning to, to, to get, to be able to move through the, the, the maze with greater, with greater, uh, skill, greater ability. So I don't know. I don't know. These are the questions which are popping in my mind as I'm driving through Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm. That's where I am right now. So those are the, the tops of mind. Uh, we're seeing it with the different weather. We're seeing it with the different ways which we're interacting with life. And I don't want to get settled into that this is the way we're living. Yeah. Because that's when we become part of it or maybe that's when we become rooted. So... Well, I don't know where we go from there in this conversation. Well, maybe it can connect to what I told you I was watching earlier in a weird way. Um, because, you know, I'll admit it. I'm a huge animal lover and I've come to the realization that I'm a very emotional person, too, because every time I watch these types of things, I start to cry and get moved, you know, by what I'm seeing. So... I'm going to tread lightly here so I don't start crying again. But there's this beautiful uh, school in Borneo where they take orphaned orangutans and they rehabilitate them or, or basically do their best to simulate, you know, what it would like, what it would be like for them to be raised by a mother orangutan in the wild. And then they bring them to this island 
that's it's like an island in a river and they monitor them to see if they're you know capable of living as uh, wild orangutans into their adulthood and some of them never do they just stay on this island where they're kind of taken care of but it's an interesting situation it's really you know obviously sad to to think about any number of the critically endangered species on the planet but when you see an animal like this that's so uh, human like in so many ways one thing that i just learned is that orangutans have culture like depending on what forest they're in there's this associated culture with that area. So, you know, it's not like a homogenous set of behaviors amongst all orangutans. It depends on, you know, where they are. Like, they'll have variations of uh, behavior, you know, greeting styles, call styles, things like that. And, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, this is, this is kind of, you know, a, an example of, a huge problem you know one of the the effects of this huge problem that we're having on the planet of uh polluting and and i don't know taking over wild spaces for their resources is that these creatures you know need our protection more and more so i don't know i mean it's kind of like uh it's it's a it's a tricky situation because when we lose these creatures, um, I wonder if it's like a, kind of like a spiritual energy that's lost from the planet, you know. <clears throat> so all right, so so okay, I think uh, that's a really really good link to where what I'm just talking about. So we, we've been told that. The way to think about our brain, we call it the triune brain, that we've got a reptilian brain, a mammalian brain, and then uh, and then the higher brain, the neocortex, right? Mm -hmm. And that mammalian brain is also where it is said that our capacity or capability to experience emotion lives. So I think that in light of, of kind of like what I was talking about before of, of seeing how easy it is to become, uh, to, to become acclimated to this new realm of experience, you know, through, we're communicating through, through, through Zoom, like everything is kind of based upon um, internet technology, you know, the, the backbone of the internet, which allows us to um, access and share information and to communicate and so forth. Like, that's where it's taking place. Uh, the ones and zeros and just kind of becoming like, here's our new normal with our new normal with weather, this ridiculousness of like, uh, of what's supposedly a spy balloon which is visible by, you know, someone who's got binoculars. Like, you know, we were told in the 1950s with the, what was the guy's name? Gary Powers, YouTube spy plane. Like that would have been like six miles up in the atmosphere. You wouldn't have been able to see that. Like, why are you telling me that now in 2023 that the cutting edge spy technology is this like 
hot air balloon, which is visible. I don't know. But the point I'm trying to make with it, like, is part of us, us being those who have, still have some degree of sentient ability of being able to think for ourselves has to be tied into still being grounded in those lower parts. You know, I'm using that with, with air quotation marks, lower parts of our consciousness, which they're saying is our mammalian brain. And so when you're watching this, this orangutan uh, documentary, when you emote, when the part of your brain that is touched, which is the emotional part, you're like, you know, I, I moved to tears by watching it. Of course you moved to tears because that part of your processing unit, that mammalian brain, is being activated as you're looking at this other way of seeing yourself, not seeing yourself as an avatar in the, uh, the metaverse, which I think we collapsed. You know, that that did not come into fruition. The, the Zuckerberg metaverse is like seemingly a bust. I say that because it was not well received based upon their you know, their business numbers, their revenue numbers with the, with the metaverse, um, it's because we're still able to find that we're still able to experience life through that one part of our being. And as we're still able to hold on to that, you know, to still be able to, to feel, to emote, to see ourselves in other ways, whether or not we're from mammals or not is not necessarily the point I'm getting at, but but recognize that there that is part of our experience. Um, that is how we don't lose ourselves in this 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 you know this inception dream because that's what this feels more like this to me. Like this, this experience, maybe that's where I was going with when I was just kind of waxing poetically 10 minutes ago is, you know, what is real right now? What is the dream? That's what the movie Inception was all about, was being able to find yourself, your consciousness in this layer after layer of falsity uh, of, you know, the, watching those documentaries is still seeing that through the AI system, but when you are hands-on uh, seeing part of that animal kingdom, connecting yourself from that with that level of reality, you know, is that part of keeping our footing as we're moving through these false realities? Hmm. One. Well, and I even wonder, like, how much of uh, our separation of these animals in our language and our culture and our consciousness, like, uh, has this effect on, I don't know, because the nature films and the nature documentaries, as much as I, I enjoy watching them and I, I feel like, you know, we're all kind of privileged to be able to get a look inside of the world of these creatures that would have been, you know, uh, hidden away to most people only a hundred years ago, right? You'd, unless you were some kind of explorer or journeyer, you would never have interacted with these types of creatures, right? But now we have cameras, you know, in these special places, uh, 
you know, it, it feels like there's like a, an angle to it where it connects to the metaverse. It connects in the simulated reality in a way where we're starting to like, we, we, we ventured too far as humans and we started to impact the world that we used to leave alone. And then as we're seeing it impacted, we're trying to mitigate that impact by, you know, bringing more attention to these causes. And I wonder if that only makes things worse in the long run. All right. So, so now you're definitely hitting on some of, on some of my, on areas which I like to think about a lot, or, or, or at least the perspective which I bring to it. So the documentaries, um, like all the nature documentaries, uh, and I'm trying to think of, there's a guy who is well-known, I'm pretty certain he's dead, he's a British guy, but his voice did... Oh, Attenborough. Voice of, yes. So all of that is Tavistock bullshit. Mm, mm. Well, the one I was so, watching today was Smithsonian. So, yeah, I don't trust them at all. They're all the same. They're yeah. all the friggin' same. So they're all the same. So what, what do I mean by their Tavistock bullshit? So when you go, like, have you ever asked yourself the question? Because I love watching the nature documentaries. I think all all human beings do. And if you don't, well, then that, that says something else. But there's something that happens when we, want, when we get caught up in these stories, when we get moved by them. But I'm always wondering, I'm like, like, are you trying to tell me that someone just put out a camera, they wanted to make a documentary, and they found this amazing story? That they found this amazing cub whose mother was eaten by wildebeests, and then this happens and that happens. And like, you know, it's a fucking story. Like, it's a narrative. And the whole point I'm trying to make is like whatever was captured, like, you know, maybe that was like that footage is real, but the way it is put together, the way that story has been put together. Now that is a convoluted story. Mm, mm. It always is. How could it not be? You know, it's like, oh, we've got all this footage. We're going to go see this. What do we got? How are we going to tell the story? (laughs) And then those stories always have underneath them a particularly if you want to look at it from this perspective of like what I'm saying like it's Tavis, you know it's a Tavistock bullshit all of that is our ways of getting people to understand themselves and to understand their environment a certain way and I'm going to say this always goes back to the whole Darwinian uh, 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 what was what was Dar- Darwin's uh Huxley, Huxley, Thomas Huxley was the, uh, the the bulldog of Charles Darwin of the introduction of the idea of us being animals and then animals being survival of the fittest. And here's the proof because we've got all of these documentaries that say at any given point that the animals are going to eat and destroy themselves. Like it's always like a battle so that you can like unconsciously understand that your life on earth is meant to be a battle. Mm. You know, this goes into something I've talked about a lot in the past, which is called ball consciousness or survival of the fittest. So, so to me, the, what you're talking about, like these stories is, is part of like this, this storyline of us as, 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 beings of consciousness and of awareness and of self 
self-awareness, meaning that we can see things and see ourselves as separate from the whole. That's what self-awareness is. But then given a narrative to understand how the whole thing works. Mm. And it is a it's a it's a uh, it's a long play. It's a long story, which is to bring the human mind from first seeing themselves as animals and then seeing themselves as computers to then seeing themselves as avatars to then seeing themselves in um, in this sort of system. Right. And was the system like is this system which we are now seemingly a part of uh, this this DOD, this this like original uh, this original metaverse, which has been in in the works for as long as they've been building out the system. And are we just like have been moved? You know, that was the Corona play of, of getting consciousness or self-awareness more 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 connected, more grounded in this this setting which we've been moved into. Mm. And the solution, you know, solution isn't necessarily the right way, but the clarity, the the being able to see that this is an inception dream within the dream is still being able to deconstruct, going back to like, okay, I'm around an animal and I can see like, you know, maybe I'm not necessarily going to to, to because I, I I'm around a, an animal my my physical surroundings and it's not the the, the World Wildlife Foundation's document documentary which is always a UN sort of event you know it all goes back to the same globalists so we know that the natural world has always been this telling of the natural world the story of what the natural world has always been linked at the hip with the same people who are telling us the carbon the carbon narratives, um, they've always been part of it. Uh, we can also find um, our way through that story by connecting to those uh, uh, natural touch points, the actual animals, the actual, like, uh, the trees, the, 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 the rocks, like going back to closer and closer to baseline reality for the simple purpose Grounding our awareness, our point of reference, our our self analysis, our self awareness into something which is not in that dream. Mm-hmm. To what point? I'm not quite certain yet, but that seemingly is for people like you and me and those who are intrigued by the sort of things we talk about. Like this is us still trying to find our footing in this like layer after layer of false reality of dream world um, in order to maybe even just create our own dreams. Well, and I think with the, with the, the dreaming, you know, we're all being, it's like what we initially started talking about. And as you were saying that I sort of realized there's a, a, a total overlap between the story about the balloon and orangutans because it's all about framing like this television show that i was watching it's like you know uh, an orangutan orphan school and and everything they say about the orangutans are they're using like children words like they they call them kids and or babies you know so they they kind of give you like this they're talking to you 
throughout the show, they're narrating it in a way that is like preparing you to to see these orangutans as you know human like and maybe even insinuating like what you're saying humans are animals look how all that similar we are to these creatures and then you know the the orphan school is portrayed as the hero because what are they doing they're they're gathering all these you know tragically orphaned orangutans and why are those orangutans being orphaned well let's look at that side of the story there are hundreds maybe thousands of people poaching these animals for various reasons and those those problems you know why do why do people in those areas turn to poaching right i mean there are larger societal issues at play here that have to do with the government that have to do with living in a third world country that have to do with crime and it's all you know, swept under the rug so that you can, you know, shed a tear and, and feel good that the little orphan orangutans are being taken care of. When in the in in a more sane and rational world, we wouldn't mitigate that problem that way. You'd go straight to the source. You'd cut it off at the root. You wouldn't just treat the symptoms, you know, and I think that's what's going on with these orangutans. They're a symptom of a much larger problem and because we're given a television show, you know, sort of milking our sympathy to to be like, oh, well, you know, if I just send this institution money, I don't have to worry about the rainforest uh, as much. You know, even though those same companies that I'm sending money to are probably in cahoots with the stupid logging companies and all the other people who are connected to deforestation. Right. And I don't mean to get on like the climatology soapbox here because i think a lot of that stuff from the top down is bs but when we look at the natural world i mean even here in the united states between you know where i am and where you are currently there are natural disasters that have taken place several rivers just on the east coast are polluted beyond repair or at least you know in the foreseeable future they won't be repaired but you know this is all uh, overlooked because we're given this sort of band-aid of, well, it's being taken care of. Johnny, get back to work, and if you care so much, you know, donate. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's a re that that really paints a really nice picture uh, or, or another way of describing what I'm what I'm referring to is like the dream within the dream within the dream. Like, mm. Like money's a fucking dream. There's no such thing as money. It's only, you know, I mean, this this is like elementary, but like money only exists because we dreamingly agree that money has, like money works. And then we, we live our lives that like, okay, we agree that money works. And then we live our lives based upon this falsity. So as soon as we do that, we're like in a dream. Like, and you can go and say, like, it's, it's like, well, it's, it's factual because, like, you need money to pay your, 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 your house, your, your rent, what have you, your mortgage. The point I'm trying to make is, like, that's just the layer of a dream. Like, how, if we want to get down, and, and all of these dreams are just narratives which have been internalized, which we accept to be true, and then we live our lives based upon, like, okay, this is, this is a ground, a grounding truth, you know, this level of the dream. And now I'm going to build upon it. Um, we solved that false problem, like you said, 
by going down to a deeper level of dream, which we've already assumed, assumed to be true, which is that money can solve problems because we could give money and then we could people would be able to to fund nonprofit organizations because there's no such thing as a nonprofit organization. It's just a construct which people agree like we're going to work together. But it's like layer after layer after layer after layer of all of the stuff which is not fundamentally true. And it builds upon itself, and then it goes, you know, it's a house of cards. So what are you and I and similar people who are curious like us interested in? What is the, what is the baseline reality? Where do I exist within it? And then what are the, and what are the rules of that baseline reality? Um, I don't have the answer to that, but I certainly know that, that that's what we're, we're – we're, we're, we're seemingly touching upon. So I, I want to like touch upon like this idea of of dreams and narratives and beliefs one step further because I have been thinking about this. And I think it's I think it's a, a, a an interesting concept. Can I ask you um, a quick question? Yes. Do you have your car window open? No. Mm. It's just a bumpy road. Sorry. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, I'm hearing kind of like a bumping noise. I thought at first it sounded like someone was stomping on your roof. <laughs> but no, go ahead. It's it, fine. It may be. So, all right. So, do you know, you're familiar with this concept of the firmament, right? Yes. And so the firmament is like this idea that there is a, like a layer in the sky where it's like the ceiling, the ceiling in which we're, we're having, uh, of our sky. Like we're living within this underneath the dome, whatever that dome may be, we're calling the ceiling, the firmament, right? Is that how you understand it? Yeah. Yeah. The atmosphere in a sort of biblical sense, or even, uh, I've heard some people say the firmament, was ice but yes i understand like a dome well, let's, let's not even go that far let's not go that far let's not call it an atmosphere let's not call it ice let's call it that there is a like a a, a physical attribute a, like which separates where we're experiencing life and there's something on the other side of it hmm. like on the most basic level okay. and imagine if you lived in a time in which that was the consensus understanding of reality. Okay. All right. Like, let's say you live in the medieval times. You could go and look, or even older than that, where you could see the, the there's a lot of artwork, particularly alchemical artwork, which demonstrates or shows a picture of like what the firmament would look like. Mm. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen yeah. images like that? Yeah. Okay. So imagine you're a regular person, and what we know is a human being, the way their consciousness works is, one, is they have a story. They have a, a narrative of how they think reality is, and it's held to be factual or true. And then it goes in the backdrop of their brain, like it's working in the background. They're not thinking about that all the time because they're like, I don't have to think about it because that's true. I don't have to think about gravity because gravity is there. It's not my job. I'm going to think about like my day-to-day -day life or whatever the things that I'm interested in. 
and all of these things which other people have demonstrated to be true to me, like I don't have to think about that anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm building up on 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 something right now. So does that make sense when I say that? Yeah. Okay. So you grew up in a time where everyone thought of the firmament. And so what you would do is you would think about your role and how you would picture like the life experience. You would picture in your mind that like, okay, I'm living on this thing called Earth and there's this ceiling we call it the firmament. And that's basically as far as I'm going to think. Like what's ever on the other side of that, I don't know. I just need to think onto this firmament and they've given me pictures and I'm picturing it like I'm living inside of a dome. And this is one of the reasons why you see domes were so significant in classical architecture. Like because that would demonstrate like kind of like as a symbol of what the firmament would be. And you would have in your mind, you would have in your picture of what reality is, you would basically come to this conclusion that like, you know what, reality just does like it ends where that firmament is like my my picture of like and this is just happening in the backdrop of your mind. You're not necessarily thinking about this on a daily basis. It's just an assumption of like how you're you're imagining your reality. Like it kind of ends where that firmament is. I don't have to think any further past that. And so your understanding of reality has a limit. There are two ways of thinking about that. There's one, which is like what's on the other side of of that firmament. But then there's also we can assume that there's a there's a, a safety with that. The safety of that is like I'm contained. I'm contained within this dome and all of life is safe. All of life is safe within this dome because this is the permanent and this is what protects me. And this goes hand in hand with Enochian magic. Because in Enochian magic, what they tell you in Enochian magic is that by calling, by utilizing the Enochian language set, you're able to call upon the forces of chaos, which exist on the other side of the firmament. And the, in the Enochian magic language or narrative, they use the terms watchtowers, that there are these watchtowers that protect all of us who are living on Earth from the other side of the firmament, which is chaotic forces, and we're protected. This is our protection. But Enochian magic, it teaches the Enochian magician how to open up the firmament and allow these, these forces to come within to the firmament and or come within our realm. And if you know your Enochian magic and you practice accordingly, you'll have enough like protection with these wards and your Enochian table that then you can command these, these forces to go and do what you want to do. All right. So like, that's the way the, 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 the previous human consciousness thought about their reality and then they went about living life with that as the backdrop of what their narrative would be. This is how I live life. This is what my life experience is going to be. I'm within this world and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. So that being said, that was just the setup. How do people understand reality now? Now we're like, oh, the firmament, that's a crazy idea. That's not how the world works. We've got space and space goes on forever. In fact, like, you know, we've got, we've got, 
more galaxies than there are grains of sand on the beach. And within the galaxies, there are more stars and star systems within within each galaxy than there are grains of sand on the beach. So the numbers, this the, the sheer size of the totality of reality is so great that it is beyond the capability of even conceptualizing it. Like it's too big. We could only like just kind of like you if you actually try to think about how vast spaces, if you will, like you can't come to anything which is manageable because it's beyond the ability to think. It's too big. Now, that is the complete opposite of what previous humans, how they thought about their experience, how they thought about their experience would have been underneath the firmament where everything is contained. And now I can kind of imagine myself. And I'm not trying to necessarily say one is right, one is wrong. I'm trying to uh, to demonstrate that the way which we pictured reality like ha- has changed, and those changes are going to be narratives which are going to create different experiences. And so part of what we have right now, because we've been told this sort of uh, narrative that space goes on forever, you can never imagine space, all this sort of stuff, um, that comes with the opposite of the safety of being in a contained environment to now you're in this environment where it's like it's too big that you could ever imagine it. And because of that, because of that, there is this like uh, there, there's going to be a desire that like, well, let me understand it in a way that that now I'm going to feel safe that now I feel contained, which is why like, oh, I'm going to understand science. I'm going to understand the God particle. I'm going to understand. Give me a reason uh, where I can understand this narrative. Um, and that leaves someone in a situation where they are allowing the storyteller to create a new dream for them. And all I'm trying to say is the dream has changed. I don't believe anything which I'm describing is a fault of the human experience or a problem of the human experience as much as what I think it is, is a quality of how the human experience is. These are all just dreams and narratives. And when we realize that when we, that that is how it works, and that it's the stories that we internalize that then we are given the keys to really understanding what this experience could actually be. Hmm. And it is from this understanding that we can actually begin to relax into what I call a meta paradigm shift. And what the meta paradigm shift is Everything can change so drastically that uh, because anything is friggin' possible. We've always been given these ridiculous stories of how to envision our reality. And once we realize that all they like that they all can change, that that's when we can really begin to have these changes and really begin to move outside of anyone else's dream. This is the inception thing. Like, where am I actually standing? Where is my actual self-awareness? And then we can go and finally begin to step into that full um, 
artist of life, to use the Toltec language, or co-creator, to use the, the modern New Age language. But there's a truth to that. And that's what we're seeing. Mm. At least that's what I'm thinking that, that I'm experiencing more and more as we have been playing these games. Yeah. These games of 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 going through the the James Shelby Downard vortex, these games of of um of uh I it's slipping on the uh I'm I'm not thinking of the word of your game is slipped my mind right now. What is what is the one word? Scene. Oh, the scene. Like that that's the game. Like these are teaching people how to play the game. And as we're seeing these layers, this is going back to the original part of our conversation today, which is like, you know, we're, we're seeing that the, 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 the setting of the dream has changed and it has changed this to easily that we can also see that this is how easy it is to change the setting of all of the stories, including the one which we are individually living within. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you used uh, Shelby Downard's name because as you were expressing that great point, I was reminded of uh, a podcast friend of mine who recently put a book together. He sent it over to me to for pre-screening. It's not available yet, but it's titled uh, New World Disorder. And the first chapter goes into uh, this whole saga of the Twilight language and uh, and James Shelby Downard and had a bunch of information in there that I was already familiar with, but a few little pieces that I had never seen before, uh, like the fact that James Shelby Downard apparently invented uh, some sort of uh, ultrasonic device that was seized by the military and possibly used against him. Um but yeah, it's a fascinating book. The only reason why I'm bringing this up is because the author, who I've spoken with off the record a bunch, um, seems like all of this that he's learned, he's gone down his own sort of um, path, and and he calls it, he compares it to like the Orphic mysteries and being led down into the underworld, and uh, his response to this seems to be, you know, embracing Christ and and going towards sort of more of a fundamentalist Christian point of view. You know, I don't want to speak for him completely, hence why I didn't say his name, but, uh, I mean, I said the title of his book. But anyways, uh, either way, I just think that this is something that can happen to people when they maybe come too close to what this author calls the abyss, where maybe fear pushes them uh, into a perspective uh, that I personally, I don't know, I feel like that's sort of going 180 into a, another, you know, position um, that will lead to this, a similar fear. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that, Mike? I mean, this. Uh, all right. So, so, so that's fantastic. So, all right. So I mentioned that point. Like I did that juxtaposition of there was once upon a time where people envisioned space to have like a, we were confined. You know, we had the firmament and we were in this, you're having your life in this confined experience. And that confinement is defined by the inside of the sphere, which you're living your life in. And that would be the firmament. Okay. 
And then I said, there, there's all sorts of ways. I mean, I've never, you've never, I've never grown up where that has been the consensus reality, but I'm going to assume that part of that is there is a safety. There's a nesting that happens within that. Oh, okay. I'm safe. I'm home. I'm protected. And compare that to the opposite, which is, oh, space goes on forever. What is that forever? That's the abyss. Oh, now I can't picture like, where is this? Where does this go? Like, oh my God, what is this? That, that kind of juxtaposition between, oh, I'm safe within the, within underneath the firmament in this like safe environment to like, there's no, like it goes on forever and I can't imagine it. And then that becomes overwhelming. And then that becomes fear-based because what we want is to have a sense of security and I'll define the security even more so. I want to have a sense of my stable ground. I want to know what is my baseline reality. So that being said, when you said uh, this particular author, this is how I would, I would interpret what that, what that author says. And this is what I think part of this process is, which may be as deep as all of the different like mysteries is like, trying to be able to find you know what that baseline is what is that safety that grounding is and the real trick of living in this layer after layer after layer after layer of dream is that as one begins to become aware that a lot of this is fake bullshit and then that triggers within them this desire to like find grounding they're going to go within the dreams that they've already experienced to like, what is, what is the grounding? And so for some people that may be like the story of religion. Okay. I feel safe here. This is my grounding. Okay. This is where all of that's bullshit, but this, this here is true. So now, now I've got my, 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 my grounding. Now to me, my personal opinion is this, like if the that there's both a truth to that, but then there's also like a, a trick to that. You know, this is part of this ability to 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 stand in the cauldron of these seeming of the paradox and finding your stability within that. Um, I've used this analogy or this analogy before. It's like when Gandalf was falling down that endless pit, wrestling that demon at the end of whichever or Lord of the Rings one or two, whichever version it is where it ends with him falling. Like there's a point when, when he realizes like, I'm not going to hit. Yes. He eventually lands in, uh, uh, in water in the bottom, but you realize that there's a stability in the fall. Hmm. And part of this, like us waking up in this from the dream or waking up, like maybe the, what we think is the stability what we think, what what the ground is, which we're searching for, actually, is, that's the wrong image or picture in our mind, which was given to us by being born into the dream. Like, that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, the, the stability is realizing that you're dreaming. Hmm. And it's all a dream. Hmm. And so when we go and we pick whichever story we, we, we find. So, for example... We, you and I have talked about the James Shelby Downard vortex. Or, and to me, what, what I mean when I use that phrase is that you find the stability that, oh, I've, um, that there is a group of, of government agents and gang stalkers who are out to get me. Like, 
regardless if that feels paranoid or not, that's at least a grounding. That's at least a narrative which someone could wrap their mind around, which is a whole lot easier to realize, to accept than the fact that like, it's not quite that simple. It's like the whole thing is a dream. Like, like the experiences. And then once you realize that, you realize it's the stories that create it. Like you're in here dreaming. It's not that you're going to find that, that, that ground, but we're here dreaming and all of this stuff is happening. And then that is when the game changes because you're looking at it from a very different perspective. This is what the Toltecs, or at least Toltec wisdom, is defined as going from the um, – goodness i can't remember what it is one is called the nagual and the other is called the i can't remember what the other word is but the nagual is realizing that it's all the dream like what we're describing is like the whole thing is that and when you become comfortable that there isn't the solid ground that you create the solid ground through your own awareness and mind that is when the meta paradigm shift can come into play and because this is a consensus reality, meaning that we are experiencing our reality by what we're all agreeing upon together, we have a consensus reality that the dollar bills matter. They only matter because we agree upon it, but there is no truth to them, that that is the nature of the reality. And that is the nature of, of our consensus reality. And the meta paradigm shift goes not just for an individual, which could theoretically always happen, but now, as we're seeing the shifting happen simultaneously with all of us on this consensus level, is we are in that spot and we are learning those skills. And the James Shelby Downer paranoid uh, vortex is going through it from the potentiality of paranoia. And like if you move through it and you realize like there's nothing to be concerned about, that the Freemasons aren't going to go and have a ritualistic sacrifice and kill you, that it's like this is part of like the, the how the game works. The fact that we even think about it and we've created it, that's when we, we actually have glimpses of our blind spot of we're actually, you know, we're creating this whole sort of thing. Well, then did I invent Johnny Wan? Did I invent Johan Wan? Did I invent this? This you know, I got so into the 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 Christopher Nolan stories that I have his watch that I before I saw that movie that the Tesseract and Interstellar that that I see myself forming a contract on exactly two hundred fifty six years a Tesseract number of when my supposed ancestor was in the exact same place on a solar cycle like i don't like am, am i looking at that as part of like this great conspiracy or am i seeing that as part of a reflection of how this game works of the house of mirrors i think that i'm getting closer to that like not just as a concept but an experiential reality um you know that that to me is what 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 we're experiencing. That to me is your handbook to the apocalypse. Is the understanding of how this is 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 occurring. This being the life experience that we're having, mm. whether or not that is 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 created within a a a, a pentagon shaped building with a with a with a data center within it or something else, I'm not certain. But we're beginning to like see through all of it and see that it is both real 
and it is both false. And that paradox is where we find our stability. And that is like, a, like you can't, you can't think that through. Like you can kind of like, it's like you can't think through riding a bike. You can't think through seeing a magic eye 3D, 3D exper- uh, uh, magic art poster. You have to relax into it and then it presents itself. And, you know, that's the model of what I'm describing and what I'm thinking that we're, we're seeing happening or at least how I'm seeing it happen within my own life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the way you, you paint that picture and it's a much more optimistic way to uh, lead through life, you know? And I think that's part of the <laughs> seeding conspiracies with this kind of stuff is like, you know, you, you go down this uh, Illuminati rabbit hole and you, find out about this Robert Anton Wilson character and then you find out a lot of the stuff he was writing was I mean essentially in jest like it was a big joke it was a big charade and yeah there was truth mixed into it but their real goal was to lead people through you know this uh, alternative reality game or or really essentially this narrative this story you know they were storytellers and People like James Shelby Downard actually potentially lived uh, a life that was inspired much by the stories of his day and and from guys like Charles Fort through to Robert Anton Wilson and everyone that came in between, you know. And I think that, uh, yeah, you, you make a great point when you say he he lived his life leading with paranoia you know phrasing it differently but yeah it's definitely a paranoid example of uh, uh of a of a man and and that's what you how you just how you just articulated it is is what i'm trying to point at like like it is it like it's as soon as you like you grab hold of the story and you think the story is real and like, OK, this is happening. Well, then that becomes the story. Like that's the nature of it. Like there is no there. It the the, the point of all of the jest of the, the Robert Anton Wilson is to realize like it's not real, but it is real. Like it's the it's the idea like that you could even juxtapose this to then the the Buddhist mindset of having a clear mind. So you're not in any of the stories. It's like it's not so much like this is the right or this is the wrong. It's it's the this is the way it works. Right. And if you are looking for that. So I, I've used this phraseology the false reality, the baseline reality, and then the greater mystery or the greater reality. The baseline reality is seemingly a floor. Like, okay, now I've found my grounding. Like I've said, like going back to like, we talked about the natural world or the orangutans or rocks or the sun or anything of that. Um, That's still like in a greater mystery, which we can't solve. It's, It's like recognizing it's more so like, this is where we are. And that switch of the meta of becoming the artist of becoming the co-creator of becoming the the of moving through the James Shelby downer is realizing that you're not searching for the baseline reality it's learning to realize like oh it's just always in fall and it's like how i play the game where are you playing the game i don't know 
but this is how we're playing the game. Oh, there's a conspiracy out to get me. You're absolutely right. No one's out to get me. You're absolutely right. <laughs> like the word, like it's in our language. Believe is like be the lie. I used to, I was so tripped up on that for so long. It's like because I wanted it to be like, OK, well, what's the truth? Like they, they've encoded that believe means 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 like it's it's there. You're going to believe something. It's the lie. And when you internalize it, then you're believing the lie. So then what's the truth? That's the that's the tricky spot. The tricky spot is like the truth is whatever you believe becomes the story. Holy crackers. I just saw this person walk in front of me, just like bite it so hard. That's the, that's the funniest thing. Like I was staring at them walk and then they just collapsed right in front of me. <laughs> they step in a hole. Uh, I'm sorry. Did they step in a hole in the ground? I don't know. They were just like, <laughs> I'm like in a parking lot at Barnes and Noble. I'm about to go and like upload a video I just made. I have to go to Barnes and Noble. That's where I can get the free internet to upload this thing, which I created. Uh -huh. Um, but it's like finding our way in the story. Um, I myself am so connected to government, military, uh, technology. I'm so connected in my historical line, in my history line, what I experienced, the people who come in my life, that it would be very easy for me to go and say, like, is all of to get very paranoid. Right. But I'm not paranoid. Um so the question is like, how do I, how do I approach that? Um, and I'm not looking to solve that answer. I'm just, I'm just sharing this as like a, like a, a demonstration of at least how I'm playing this game. Because one of the things which I'm realizing on this consensus reality, that's why I think like what you created with the scene is so powerful. It's not so much like the scene uh, the, the the scene is the way which Mark is playing the game and we're giving tools so that we can create this, we can collectively or at least come up with a group you know, a hundred monkey a hundredth monkey where we can begin to realize that we're going to create our consensus reality of that this is a game and we're creating our own game mm. and we're not looking for, like this is the thing like when a lot of people look at the 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 picking apart you have to go through conspiracy research you have to go through conspiracy research to wake up from the 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 ridiculousness of history but if you get caught up in it well then you know you just like you just switched one story to another um the conspiracy when we go through this and we deconstruct one history, we don't want to create another history to then go and say, like, now I'm in this new trap. It's like it all works like this. And so when we come up with these, when we see that this is how the game is played and we can do this together, like, and we can do it in a large enough numbers and we can do it in a way which doesn't necessarily have, uh, I mean, this is just a big ARG is what government is and like the way we're living life right now. Um, the, the balloon, the balloon in, in which was shot down. Did you see it? Did you pull it up on, on the computer as we talked? Yeah. It said that it was shot down over the coast of South Carolina by an F-22. Maybe it was shot at by some people on the ground, but they're giving credit to the F-22 pilot, of course. Somehow they're also, they like, they interviewed this guy. I'm not certain what the details is. Um, go look at that and then juxtapose that to the Truman Show. When in the Truman Show, when the uh, when the light fell down, 
Hmm. You know, scene I'm talking about in the Truman Show when the when the skylight in the sky broke and fell down. Yeah, it's funny. We were made to watch that in school my senior year, like several times in a month because we did a whole project on it. So yeah, I do. Just like that. you were made to read 1984, and just like you were made to read Brave New World. <laughs> yeah. Within the within the within the within the the problem is the solution. Hmm. <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, we've 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 done a really big circle in our conversation right now, and it feels really really heady. Mm. Um, and I I want to kind of like you know maybe pause right now. This feels like maybe a good place to kind of wrap it up. Like what hopefully what we talked about today. Like here's the irony: there is not there there is not like a point. There is not like a um, there is not a a a a a resting ground, which you're going to reach. Oh, now I figured it out. And now I can, now I can solve this. Now I can go back to 1984 where everything was cool. And like, that's when life was still good. Like it was always like this. Like what we're coming to is like, we're recognizing like the nature of it. And all we can do is just kind of relax into it and see it for what it is. So don't look for like a, a, a conclusion as much as it is like a, a, a settling into it. Yeah. It being like the life experience, not the solving of a mystery, the life experience, because that's the mystery. Yeah, I'm, I'm like seeing like an evolutionary chart of man in my head right now, but it's like, you know, uh, sheep then conspiracy theorist or maybe there's a pre a stage between the two like agitated person <laughs> conspiracy theorist and then uh there's a next phase after that that you have to get to and i think you just described it pretty well and yeah that maybe it's our society that even farms us into this position but uh, i agree mike it's a good place to to wrap up a lot of very heady stuff in this uh, well-produced episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Thank you, Mike, for joining us over Zoom. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that, and uh, we don't want to hold you up too much longer. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything you want to let the, the listeners, the audience know before we go? Anything to promote? Um, let's see. Like... Uh... I'm doing, I'm back to doing the, the, um, the one-on-one -on -one sessions, the one-on-one -on session, one -on -one sessions. The purpose is a reframing of your story. It is not necessarily so that this is the right way to see your life. It's to demonstrate that there are, that all of the stories can break down because once you realize that, like that, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an exercise into becoming free. So those are now available. Um, SusquehannaAlchemy.com is where you would find that. Um, I've recently uploaded all of my material. I mean, I didn't realize how much stuff I put out. I put out a lot of stuff over the years. All of that's now on Subscribestar. That's if you're interested in supporting me, you could do that. Um, also, I'm doing. Me and Christy are doing one-on-one uh, -on -one in-person sessions in bell tents. Um, in this area where we're living, like on the supposed land of my supposed ancestors, like in these bell tents, which look like little Mongolian yurts, like on a smaller size, like all of these different sort of services to really help bring people into 
a greater way of understanding their life during this time. Like those services uh, are coming online. So if you're interested, Susquehanna Alchemy is probably the best place to go and find that. And um, also I'm going to upload a video, which I'm going to send to you, Mark, which uh, I think is a really cool video um, that is called Practically Time Traveling. And um, that should be coming out this week as well. Right on. Well, folks, go over to Susquehanna Alchemy on YouTube. I'm sure you're already there. Make sure you hit that notification button so you get notified when Mike puts out new videos, hopefully at a steadier pace now that he's back at it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on another episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse.